Amen. Hey, once again, we are in our study, World Religions, Colts in the Eye Cold, number 13. That's right, Jim. Maybe that was you. I seriously doubt it. But anyway, that's why Charismatic Chaos Part 2. And Ruth, of course, has a tagline for us tonight. Keep it up for Ruth right there, man. I tell you what, just made it and just got in the room and she's already having to do work. I tell you what, now you can relax. But uh, by way of recap, of course, we're dealing with the history, the untold history, part two of the charismatic movement. The first uh, 20 sessions, of course, part one was dealing with a lot of their aberrant teachings. Even though we're still dealing with a lot of aberrant teachings, they just don't seem to stop. Uh, with these entities, but they want to say the reason why it's so weird and so wacky and you don't seem to like what we're doing is because it's a new movement of God in the last days. That ain't true. Has been seen throughout history, early church, 1800 years, all the way down. Even they want to say it started at Azusa Street. That is not true. But since Azusa Street, they split, they spread, they give birth to all kinds of different denominations. Still to this day, they keep splitting and spreading. Why? Because what's going to happen every single time when you don't center your beliefs around this book, the Bible? You're going to split because man's going to come up with all kinds of wacky stuff, and they do, unfortunately. Okay, uh, we saw the birth of the Oneness Pentecostals in 1914 after the Azusa Street, the Assemblies of God, the same year, Four Square, 1927, Catherine Kuhlman, Benny Hinn, who Amy Simple McPherson, the leader of Four Square uh, Churches, and Catherine Kuhlman was his big influence. And then, of course, we dealt with the aspect of the 1950s healing revivals was next on our timeline, and that's where we kind of left off. Uh, and basically what this is, is this false teaching, the charismatic movement of guaranteed healing. You got perfect health, perfect uh, uh, riches, and you, you're uh, somehow a second-class Christian if you don't have this second uh, experience with the Holy Spirit, which is not biblical, and the, you don't speak in this uh, j- gibberish stuff. Uh, they, they, instead of waiting for you to come to them, to their temples, to their structures, they hit the road. And that's basically what was going on here. They really began to spread, unfortunately, during this time in these tent revivals. Now, we saw some of the highlights of the people involved in this tent revival era. Teal Osborne, Jack Coe, A.A. A. Allen. And then, of course, we left off with the two big guns who really are the ones that promoted them uh, and, and get most of the credit. And the first one was William Brandon. Remember that? Remember how the people today think he's basically was Jesus in the second? It's crazy. Brandon and I still, even though he's long dead, uh, man, he's still, unfortunately, through media, influencing and leading millions astray. Uh, but then we left off with who? That's right, Oral Roberts, as we saw. And what we saw, according to the Bible, Jesus is the one that gives us the uh, ability to do this. Matthew 7, he says, how are you going to recognize a false prophet and a false teacher? It rhymes with their fruit, for those of you who are actually paying attention. That's right, you buy their fruit, you take a look, and if over time they obviously are steering away from the Scripture and they reveal that they're a bunch of wolves in sheep clothing and they're really exploiting people, remember that's what the word ferocious meant, exploiting, we're going to see that again tonight. Uh, These people run. Don't trust them. In fact, if you keep reading the context, we saw that, uh, uh, that also they may not even be Christians at all, okay? Uh, and just a bunch of fake people ripping people off, okay? And that's what we saw, unfortunately, with these guys in this tent revival. These guys, by their fruit, show us that this movement is really full of false teachers, false prophets, uh, and they're a plethora of false teachings, and I don't know their heart, but man, they may very well not even be saved. Okay, but that's what we said and saw according to Jesus. He loves us enough to tell us the truth and what to look out for, and we have every right to pay attention and monitor, okay, and call it out. Now, uh, the second thing we're going to take a look at, we're going to continue with Oral Roberts and move forward, okay, but the Bible again gives us something else to look forward to. In fact, not just the fruits, he says, watch out because something's going to happen in the church in the future, okay, and uh, it's basically what you're seeing with these guys still going on today. Uh, but that's in Second Peter 2, 
Open your Bibles to Second Peter chapter 2. And if you find First Peter, what do you do? Hang right. That's right. It's page 1926 in my Bible, if that helps you get there faster. 1926, but let's take a look there. Second Peter. Second Peter, of course, was written by Peter. Jim, you're just two for two tonight, bro. This is awesome, right? Second Peter chapter two, false teachers and their destruction is what my headline here says. Uh, but Second uh, Peter chapter two, when you get there, say moo. Moo, that sounds beautiful. <laughs> Reed, did you hear that? Awesome. But let's go on here. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be in the future. He's talking to the church. What? False teachers among you. Isn't that sad? False teachers going to come. But as we've been seeing throughout history, that's what Satan's been doing ever since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You, you, you didn't stop Jesus. You, you can't stop Christianity. You can't stop the gospel. Okay. But he tries to pollute with false teachings and lead people away, even in the so-called church from the one and only gospel. And here's what these people are gonna do, the false teachers in the future, they're gonna secretly introduce destructive heresies. Listen, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. Now, have we seen that so far just in the charismatic movement? Yeah, when you're one that's Pentecostal and you say that uh, you have to be baptized specifically by their guy, let alone just baptized, period, in order to be saved, and you have to speak in gibberish in order to be saved, that's not the gospel. That's a works-based salvation. You're denying the sovereign Lord who bought you, okay, as well. Uh, when you're also saying, like other entities, saying that, listen, uh, maybe you don't work for your salvation, but you could work yourself out. That still works. What are you trusting in? Are you trusting solely in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross? Hey, if works get in it at all, that is not the gospel. You're denying the sovereign Lord. So this passage to me fits, I think, a lot of things that we're seeing in the church today, but certainly this element of people uh, as well. Now, it says here, nobody's going to follow him because everybody in the last day is going to be stuck hard on the Bible. They're going to be studying doctrine. And now, what's the sad word there? And he's talking to the church. Many Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Now, disrepute there, that's the Greek word blasphemeo. Where do you think we get what English word from that? Blaspheme. So what they're going to do, man, is actually blasphemous. Have we seen any of that? Yeah, you're going to see some blasphemous statements about Jesus tonight coming from these folks. Uh, now, in their what? What's the, why are they doing this? Why did they come into, the, what's the word there? In their greed. They want money. They want something from you. They're going to rip you off. In their greed, these teachers, and that's what they do, they exploit you, right? They're going to treat you like a product, right? They want something from you. You're nothing. You're just a number. You're just a checkbook. You're an end to the means, right? I'm going to exploit you because I want your money, right? In their greed, they're going to exploit you, okay, with what? Stories they have made up. And you're going to see some stories made up again tonight. God told me to tell me I had this vision, this dream, supposedly. Are you kidding? You're making that up, dude. That did not happen. There's no way. Okay? And here's the, here's the payoff for them. No pun intended. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. In other words, you don't want to be in this crowd. You don't want to be in this camp. You don't want to follow these guys. They are headed for destruction. Okay? But isn't this wild? The Bible says nearly 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Peter warned that in the church in the last days, you're going to see false teachers come who specifically have greedy hearts and they're going to come and rip people off of their cash. And it's a good sign that we see none of that behavior today. Yeah, flip on what has become, unfortunately, the new face of Christianity, okay, around the world. And that's all it is, is these hucksters ripping people off of their cash with what? Stories they made up. Okay, certainly not the Bible. 
Okay, folks, that's a sign you're living the last days. When you turn on the TV and you see these hucksters, you're living the last days. Just as much of a sign from God as the increase of earthquakes and famines and wars and pestilence, just flip on the TV, hucksters in their greed, ripping you off in the church, other cash with stories made up. That's a huge sign you're in the last days. Isn't that wild? I call that one of those, I call them the, the, the sleeper sign. For some reason, we just missed that one. But man, it's a big one out there when you take a look at what the Bible says. Now, the, this whole idea of this perfect health, perfect wealth, and of course, in order to get that perfect health and perfect wealth, what do you got to do? In their greed, you got to what? You got to give these guys money, right? That's the machinery uh, that they use to, to manipulate people, exploit them in order to get their money, right? Oral Roberts, believe it or not, who we left off last time, this guy was in the 50s here at the tent revivals. Uh, he was the one that really popularized specifically this idea that uh, you give them money, you get perfect health and perfect wealth, okay? Uh, so it came from him, and I want to explore that. Now, what he did was he emphasized, and this is the, the phrase that's still used today. It's not just faith. It's called seed faith, right? And that you need to sow a seed. Of course, what are they talking about? Money, right? And that, that somehow you're going to get, uh, uh, by doing that, and of course, the more the merrier, and that you're going to get uh, blessings from that, right? And you're going to get uh, health, and you're going to get wealth from that. Listen to this. In the early 1950s, Roberts began to promise his followers that their financial gifts would be returned to them by God sevenfold, right? You listen to some of those hucksters today, and they say, you sow a seed in my ministry, God's going to get bless you tenfold, a hundredfold, all this. They're just making it up. Stories made up, right? It's not even in the scripture, obviously. Then in 1954, listen, he initiated his, quote, blessing pact, whereby he offered to pray that any gift given to his ministry uh, be returned in its entirety from a totally unexpected source. So, you know, it's something supernatural is going on. If you just give me money, you're going to get blessings. Now, it's, to me, it's a two-way street there. These guys are obviously not only greedy in their greed, but what are they appealing to? people's sin nature greed right because i'm not giving to god what when the bible says when you give uh second corinthians we're to give with what a cheerful heart freely specifically says not under compulsion not because you have to right and and, and but but you because i want to it, it's happy with joy but they're appealing to greed people say well i'm going to give because god's going to give me more god's going to give me 10 times more god's going to give me what i want right just be from some financial transaction i've said this before but man if you've ever read the book of acts which i highly recommend the bible period but you look at simon the sorcerer and he actually approached the apostles and he says i want to basically buy this power that you guys got that you know with doing all these incredible things when apostles and prophets were in function and if you look at what was said to him when he actually said you know basically i, I, want, I want to buy it from you uh the english is kind of tame compared to what the Greek actually says. And basically the Greek, what the response to him was, to hell with you and your money. To think that you could buy this power from God. And folks, that, I'm telling you, it's a serious thing when you want to encourage people out of greed to think that somehow you're going to give this person money or this ministry money and then you're going to get something even more from God. Man, I'll stand over here where the lightning bolt gets you. But that's what it says. These guys, man, their destruction is not sleeping. You better get out of that thing. You better get out of it now. This is not from God. Now listen, but it works for them, right? The people getting rich is them who promote this lie. 
and it worked for Oral Roberts. Listen, he ran direct mail campaigns of seed faith, which appealed, listen, to poor Americans, often from ethnic minorities. And at his peak, this was in the 1980s, man. And this is per year, right? Per year. Listen to how much he was raking in. $120 million per year in the 1980s. In their greed, they will exploit you, right? A hundred and twenty million bucks a year. Obviously, his fundraising was quote controversial. And listen to this shocker. Once again, we see this pattern through the whole history. Roberts maintained his love of finery, and uh, one obituary claimed that he that even when times became economically hard, quote, he continued to wear his Italian silk suits, diamond rings and gold bracelets that was airbrushed out by his staff. Wow. And he used some of these millions that he gained and greed and ripping people off in the church uh, to buy a Beverly Hills property, a country club membership lavish expenses, holiday homes in Palm Springs and Beverly Hills, and three Mercedes, just to name a few, right? But this guy, again, Oral Roberts, folks, this is the guy that really popularized what we're still having to deal with today on so-called Christian television. It's not Christianity, and it's a false gospel, okay? But the world doesn't know any different, so this is going out all over the world, and we have to deal with it. But USA Today, listen, this is not a Christian magazine folks usa today said this about oral roberts they summed up his life his contributions right oral roberts brought health and wealth gospel mainstream okay he is the architect of the prosperity gospel which is not the gospel by the way it's called a false gospel okay but that's how big of a credit he gets you know uh but and yet listen you think man that's that's one of those things you want to Oops, made a mistake on that one. Don't want to, you know, people to talk about that. I blew that. And no, listen, listen, Oral Roberts uh, not only was an advocate of that idea, but prosperity teaching, quote, was what Roberts himself wanted to be remembered for. In their shameful way. You know, you have no shame about this, man. In your greed, you're ripping people off $120 million a year. Not the loss, the church. How much money could that have gone to sharing the actual real one and only gospel or other needs per year? Crazy, right? But before we get into that, basically what he launched out of this thing, this seed faith idea, is again what we have to deal with today and it's everywhere and it's spreading, right? And that's what's called word faith or word of faith. Okay, have you heard about that? And that's basically, sometimes we'll say that's the name it and claim it crowd, the blab it and grab it crowd. That you, positive confession is another word. That that's right, you are a little God and that you have the power with your words, with the force of faith that you can create in your reality, reality whatever you want. Fancy cars, just like these guys. Italian suits, perfect health, perfect wealth. Okay, it's word of faith. Okay, that's, that's what they call it. Okay, but is it biblical? I'll ask that again. Is it biblical? Yes, thank you. Not even close, but let's take a look. Word of Faith teaching is decidedly unbiblical. It is not a denomination and does not have a formal organization or hierarchy. Instead, it is a movement that is heavily influenced by a number of high-profile pastors and teachers, such as Kenneth Hagin, Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, Paul and Jan Crouch, and Fred Price. The Word of Faith movement grew out of the Pentecostal movement in the late 20th century. Its founder was E.W. Kenyon, who studied the metaphysical New Thought teachings of Phineas Quimby. 
Mind science, where name it and claim it originated, was combined with Pentecostalism, resulting in a particular mix of Orthodox Christianity and mysticism. Kenneth Hagin, in turn, studied under E.W. Kenyon and made the Word of Faith movement what it is today. Although individual teachings range from completely heretical to completely ridiculous, what follows is the basic theology most Word of Faith teachers align themselves with. At the heart of the Word of Faith movement is the belief in the force of faith. It is believed words can be used to manipulate the faith force and thus actually create what they believe scripture promises, health and wealth. Laws supposedly governing the faith force are said to operate independently of God's sovereign will and that God himself is subject to these laws. This is nothing short of idolatry, turning our faith and, by extension, ourselves into God. From here, its theology just strays further and further from Scripture. It claims that God created human beings in his literal, physical image as little gods. Before the fall, humans had the potential to call things into existence by using the faith force. After the fall, humans took on Satan's nature and lost the ability to call things into existence. In order to correct this situation, Jesus Christ gave up his divinity and became a man, died spiritually, took Satan's nature upon himself, went to hell, was born again and rose from the dead with God's nature. After this, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to replicate the incarnation in believers so that they could become little gods, as God had originally intended. Following the natural progression of these teachings as little gods, we again have the ability to manipulate the faith force and become prosperous in all areas of life. Illness, sin, and failure are the result of a lack of faith and are remedied by confession, claiming God's promises for oneself into existence. Simply put, the Word of Faith movement exalts man to God's status and reduces God to man's status. Needless to say, this is a false representation of what Christianity is all about. Obviously, Word of Faith teaching does not take into account what is found in Scripture. Personal revelation, not Scripture, is highly relied upon in order to come up with such absurd beliefs, which is just one more proof of its heretical nature. Countering Word of Faith teaching is a simple matter of reading the Bible. God alone is the sovereign creator of the universe, Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, and does not need faith. He is the object of faith, Mark chapter 11, verse 22. God is spirit and does not have a physical body, John chapter 4, verse 24. Man was created in the image of God, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, but this does not make him a little God or divine. Only God has a divine nature, Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. Christ is eternal, the only begotten Son, and the only incarnation of God. John chapter 1 verse 14. In Him dwell the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9. By becoming a man, Jesus gave up the glory of heaven, but not His divinity. Philippians chapter 2 verses 6 and 7. Though He did choose to withhold His power while walking the earth as a man. The Word of Faith movement is deceiving countless people, causing them to grasp after a way of life and faith that is not biblical. At its core is the same lie Satan has been telling since the garden. You shall be as God. Genesis chapter 3 verse 5. Sadly, those who buy into the Word of Faith movement are still listening to him. So, be wary of the Word of Faith movement and any church that aligns itself with Word of Faith teachings. Can I translate that for you? Run! <laughs> it's not biblical. Not even close, right? 
man, talk about a repeat, Genesis 3. You'll be like God. You are God. You got this God force power, and you could use this and do whatever you want. Excuse me? It's crazy. And you might be thinking, well, nobody's going to buy into this. This is so far off base scripture. You kidding me? Any, with the basic, are you kidding me? And I quote, this has become the fastest growing segment of professing Christianity in the world. Right? And I like, the, I, I like the how they use professing Christianity because this is not Christianity. But this lie, in their greed, this is the method they use to rip people off their cash. This is the so-called belief system that is not biblical, although they want to say it is. Okay, it's the word of faith. It's the fastest growing segment of Christianity, professing Christianity in the world. It's, it's nuts. And really what it is, it's, it's, a, uh, it's coming obviously from the charismatic movement. And it's a combination of several different things. One, it, Norman Vincent Peale and Robert Schuller. Okay, they're positive thinking because this is also called positive confession, right? Got to think positive, right? Uh, it's a spinoff of that. Also, as you saw, it has its roots with E.W. Kenyon. As we saw before, uh, Phineas Quimby, basically new thought, which is basically new age. It's also warmed over Hinduism, okay, uh, with that aspect as well, that creative visualization, visualization that you just need to acknowledge that you're God and you have this power to create your own reality. Folks, that's new age, that's Hinduism, straight 101. It's also a blend of Christian science. Remember we went through that six weeks with Mary Baker Eddy, right? That mind science that you have the power to create your own, okay? It's all that kind of spun into one, okay, and barfed out. It has nothing to do with the scripture, right? Now, let me give you just kind of a general overview. He talked about this, but word of faith. Here's their basic tenets, if you will, that faith is a force that man can use. And when they say man, they mean any person, not even Christians. They say even this works for even non-Christians, even somebody involved in the occult. It's nuts. But here's what Kenneth Copeland said. He said, faith is a force just like electricity or gravity. And it's the substance out of which God creates whatever. And you have that same ability as God. Nuts. Number two, they say that faith's force is released when you speak it forth with words. By the way, did you know that's witchcraft? Witchcraft is all in the power in the the spells, the specific words that you say you speak forth. It's called an incantation, right? That's all this is. So it's even a blend of witchcraft uh, as well. But they say, it says, quote, this is from Kenneth Hagin, the God kind of faith is released by the words of your mouth. And you're thinking, well, so what if you release the words? Ah, here comes their other false teaching. Genesis 3 warmed over and repeated, okay? They believe that you are a little God, right? That's why when you, as a little God, speak forth these words, it's going to happen. It's going to manifest. They say that man was designed by God to be the God of this world. Excuse me? You've got to be kidding. Come on, these guys don't really teach that we are gods. Yes, we saw this before, but let's take a look at it again. Do you know what else that's settled then tonight? This hue and cry and controversy that has been spawned by the devil to try and bring dissension within the body of Christ that we're gods. I am a little God. Yes. Yes. I have his name. I'm one with him. I'm in covenant relation. I am a little God. Critics, you are anything that he is. Yes. If horses get together, they produce what? And if dogs get together, they produce what? If cats get together, they produce what? But if the Godhead gets together and say, let us, 
make man, then what are they producing? They're producing gods. Now, I got to hit this thing real hard in the very beginning because I ain't got time to go through all this. But I'm going to say to you right now, you are gods. You know, why do people have such a fit about God calling his creation, his creation, his man, not his whole creation, but his man, little gods? If he's God, what's he going to call them but the God kind? I mean, if you as a human being have a baby, you call it a human kind. If, if cattle has another cattle, they call it cattle kind. So, I mean, what's God supposed to call us? Doesn't the Bible say we're created in his image? You know who you are? Turn to Psalm 82. This is going to blow your mind real good. Psalm 82, 1. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. That's you. He judgeth among the what? Now, would you please listen to me? This is talking about you. He's telling the gods. Who are the gods? You are. See, I never heard that. Let me ask you this. Hello, you. Are you God's offspring? then you're not human. So this God-like person inside of Benny Hinn right here has nothing to do with flesh and blood. He's a part of God. He's a little God walking in a, in a little body saying in Jesus' name, God came from heaven, became a man, made man into little gods, went back to heaven as man. He faces the Father as a man. I face devils as the Son of God. Jesus said, go in my name, go in my stead. Don't say, I have, say, I am, I am, I am, I am, I am. Say after me, within me is a God-man. Say it again. Within me is a God-man. Now let's say it even better than that. Let's say, I am a God-man. When you say, I'm a Christian, you're saying, I am Mashiach in the Hebrew. I'm a little Messiah walking on earth, in other words. When I read in the Bible where he says, I am, I just smile and say, yes, I am too. Here's where it's going to get big for some people. Get ready. Go, go ahead. Email me now in that place. Go ahead. You tap into who you really are. You know what the Bible calls you? It says you are a little Elohim. You are a little God. you got to be kidding. Quickly, very quickly. I wasn't planning on doing this. Turn your Bibles to Matthew 24. I don't think this is by chance. We're dealing with another future uh, event. Uh, Matthew 24, of course, this is the classic signs of the times. How do you know when it's getting close, when Jesus is coming back? Referring to his second coming at the end of the seven-year tribulation. The disciples ask him that question. And uh, the very first thing he says before he gets into the wars, the rumors of wars and famines and pestilence and signs in the sky, the first thing he says right there, uh, Jesus said, after they asked the question, what's some of these signs? Verse 4, Matthew 24, 4, if you're there, say moo again. Actually, I asked you to say moo again, but you said moo, they'll just work with it. But anyway, that's right. Uh, Matthew 24, 4, what did he say? Watch out that no one what? Deceives you. In fact, multiple times in this chapter, the word deceived is used over and over again. The, leading up to the seven-year tribulation, certainly in the seven-year tribulation, it is going to be characterized by deceit, 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 deceit. Okay? And he says, for many will come in my name, claiming that I am the what? I'm the Christ. What did Ben Hinn just say? You're a little Messiah. You're the Christ. You're a little God walking on this planet. Folks, I certainly believe that even fits in there too. And it says there what many are going to fall for. How many people right now are, you know, he was getting people to repeat him. It's like, how'd that even come out of your mouth to say that you're a little God, you're a little God man, you're a little Messiah. Mashiach is the Hebrew Messiah. It's nuts what they believe. And that's why they say, well, since now supposedly you're this little Messiah, this little God, you better be careful, right? Because you get what you confess with your mouth. 
right, with this, this, this faith force. The vital key, they say, is confessing or speaking aloud, releasing the force of faith. Okay, whatever comes out of your mouth shall be produced in your life. And, of course, riches and wealth and all this stuff, they say. But that's why they also say, never make a negative confession. Quote, the tongue can kill you. It can release the life of God. If you confess sickness, you get it. If you confess health, you get it. Whatever you say, you get. Really? Right? In order for that to happen, you'd have to be God, but you're not God. But, again, that sure sounds very tantalizing and, again, appeals to people's Greed, and it certainly works out good for them because you got to pay for this knowledge, apparently. And the ones that get rich are the other guys, and of course, that meets their need for greed. But again, uh, the word faith movement, listen to this, may be the most dangerous false system that has grown out of the charismatic movement so far. Okay? Uh, Lord willing, eventually we're going to get into the new apostolic reformation, some of the stuff we're dealing with today, with Bethel and some of those other ones. Uh, they're running pretty close to being even worse than this, but this is bad, right? Because it's a false gospel, right? But again, to say that you are God, how do you get past Genesis chapter three and fall for this, right? How do you get past just uh, I, I, the book of Isaiah that repeatedly says there is no other God but one? I, God says, I know not one. There is no God. He alone is God. And it's logical. And doesn't this sound like Mormonism, right? Oh, and by the way, isn't that the same charismatic premise that Joseph Smith created Mormonism? that he was a prophet of God, that God told him that he had the way of truth, that everybody else was wrong, follow him in these last days. It's the same baloney. Joseph Smith, again, was a charismatic uh, in certainly his behavior and mindset. Bottom line is the attempt to alter reality with one's positive words and or thoughts, quote, is witchcraft. And it's not biblical. So that's really what they're doing. But again, Oral Roberts, that's what he uh, promoted and things of that nature. And this whole thing, this word faith, again, the seed faith, this whole premise, this whole belief system, quote, has become the main cash cow for these ministries. This is how they're able to continue with not thousands, not hundreds of thousands, not just millions, but multiple millions ripping people off in the church every single year. This is the cash cow. It's this belief system, this false teaching, okay? And again, uh, uh, Oral Roberts, unfortunately, uh, is the one that really began to popularize that. Now, let's move on. So, because it, unfortunately, didn't stop with him, okay? It began to spread, right? Oral Roberts' influence is certainly not something that we should celebrate. Uh, quote, virtually every aberrant idea of the Pentecostal and charismatic movement spawned after 1950 can be traced in one way or another to Oral Roberts. Not a good legacy, okay? But let's talk about two people, and we'll deal with one of them tonight. The first one uh, that he, had, he uh, had influence with and worked with is this guy, okay, uh, Kenneth Hagin. Kenneth Hagin and Oral Roberts often ministered together. Uh, and they both affirmed each other's so-called ministries. Uh, furthermore, the heir to Hagen, uh, standing as the chief of word faith preachers, Hagen's basically called the granddaddy, even though he got a lot of this from Oral. Okay, he was the granddaddy, this guy of the word faith. But now, the, basically the most popular guy today, he's not the only one, okay, uh, is Kenneth Copeland. How do you like those eyeballs? <laughs> yeah, wait till we deal with him, Lord willing, in the next study. Uh, wow, but th that, and Copeland, believe it or not, he got started, uh, he was working with Oral into television ministry, and he, he was working as a chauffeur and a pilot to Oral Roberts. That's how he got his start. And then he basically learned the tricks of the trade, and he took off on himself, right, as well. So, hey, parents, your kids get out of line. They don't want to go to bed. 
<laughs> okay, let's move on. I digress. Uh, but one thing <laughs> that the obituaries agree is that Oral Roberts paved the way for all that, listen, for all the charismatic televangelists and faith healers who dominate the tele, uh, television today. Thank you, Oral Roberts. And I mean that in a negative way. Okay, but that's Oral but I wanted to give you the thread of where this came from. Now, let's get to the guy that began to really pick it up uh, after Oral. First of all, Kenneth Hagan here. Uh, he's basically, again, given credit for pioneering the Word Faith movement, again, but he, he didn't start it. But shocker, uh, this guy was uh, a big, giant liar. Okay, shocker. And uh, he actually, even this Word Faith teaching, okay, uh, he didn't even come up with it. Uh, he got it from E.W. Kenyon, as we saw before, who got it from Phineas Quimby, who got it from New Age and Hinduism and all that other stuff. Okay, in fact, we'll see uh, uh, in, in a little bit that uh, he was guilty of literally plagiarizing word for word from E.W. Kenyon. But again, he says repeatedly that he got this from God. He did, God gave it to, you liar. It's been demonstrated he ripped it off from E.W. Kenyon. Okay, but uh, again, uh, this guy's known as the granddaddy okay, of the word faith movement. Uh, Copeland today is considered the, one of the biggest leaders, but you got other entities like Creflo, Dollar, and others, okay? Uh, and then, of course, uh, in close second, if you will, would be Benny Hinn, okay? But listen to this. Word of faith, how did it get out there so fast? This is after the 50s. Well, in 1973, okay, uh, you had the birth of the Total Blasphemy Network, I mean, uh, TBN. And uh, basically, they picked up on it with Paul and Jan Crouch, you saw in the video there, the very first clip there with Kenneth Copeland and his wife promoting that we're little gods, as they would say, uh, they began to promote it. And of course, they got 5,000 TV stations, 33 international satellites, and uh, they took it all over the world. Listen to that. They broadcast the United States, Europe, Russia, Middle East, Africa, Australia, New Zealand, South Pacific, India, Indonesia, South East Asia, and South America. And you wonder why it's so hard for you and I to witness to people today. And remember I said, this lie, word, faith, seed, faith, baloney, name it and claim it, blam it and grab it, is the fastest growing segment of professing Christianity. It's because of this. Because they become the face of Christianity and it's not Christian. It is, I'll just, it's sick. Because it's a false gospel. Now listen to this. In Africa, word of faith is sweeping the continent. Estimates more than 147 million of Africa's 890 million people are Pentecostals or Charismatics who believe the health and wealth gospel, which is a false gospel. Sociologists say the message of money, cars, houses, and the good life is almost irresistible to the poor and the oppressed, right? So they're doing it out of greed to rip these people off, and they're appealing to people's greed, who, granted, are in some unfortunate circumstances. But it... It's sick. Then in the U.S., the word faith movement and prosperity gospel is spreading like wildfire uh, everywhere, but certainly also in the African-American community by preachers like T.D. Jakes and Creflo Dollar, etc. cetera. And, uh, but here's the, here's the outcome. Right now, it's spread so much. Listen to this, what they said. They said that off, around the world, basically, that when people hear the word gospel, they think it means that. The gospel to them means you're guaranteed through these techniques that you're going to be perfectly healthy and perfectly wealthy. It's more, they said it's more well known than the doctrine of justification by faith. Isn't that sick? And isn't just that just like the enemy in the last days? 
The harvest is ripe, man. The workers are few. All these ministries are going out all the world. They got all the money. They're ripping people off. They got the technology and they're leading the whole world astray with the false gospel. Tell me that's not from Satan, right? And then if you and I start to call this out, what are you guys, some sort of heresy hunters? What are you, how, touch not thine Lord's anointed. Who are you to judge? You're a false teacher and a false prophet, man. And I'm just looking at your fruit, right? And the Bible warned about you coming in the last days, right? Listen to this. When people see that the prosperity gospel doesn't work, quote, they may reject God altogether. I could tell you of so many people, man, got shipwrecked and don't want to have nothing to do with Christianity anymore because they got burned and ripped off by these hucksters. It's sad. But Ken Hagen, that's who we're talking about. He was born in McKinney, Texas, uh, and uh, 1917. He was born with a deformed heart, and uh, he had a, quote, dramatic conversion experience. I don't know what that means, but it's dramatic converted to something, right? Uh, he reported dying. Now, now talking about these guys, what what Second Peter say? They would make up, I don't even know where it's at anymore. They would make up stories, man. I mean, with they, and that's, how they would, that's how they would exploit people, stories they made up. This guy can tell them. Man, he could tell them. He gives Joseph Smith a run for his money in my opinion. Watch this. Uh, he said that uh, he reported dying three times in 10 minutes, okay? And each time he saw the horrors of hell and the return to life. And, uh, and then in 1936, he founded his first non-denominational church. He preached his first sermon as the pastor, listen to this, of a small community Baptist church in Roland, Texas. Remember we all saw this before? Back up the train there. How in the world did you get to even preach in that church, let alone become the pastor? You don't do a reference check? This guy's off the rails, man. A Baptist church back in the 30s. Crazy. Well, apparently, uh, I don't know. I don't get the story. I don't know if they kicked him out or what, or he didn't like it, or they wouldn't get in with the program, so to speak, his program. But in 1937, he became an Assemblies of God minister. They accepted him. And uh, during the next, tw- listen, this, during the next 12 years, he pastored five different Assemblies of God churches. Not a good track record, dude. I told you, you're bouncing around, man. About every two years, you're going somewhere else. Okay, that's not a good sign. But then in 1938, he married his uh, wife, Aretha Rooker. They have two children. Uh, the first is Kenneth Wayne Hagen, known as Kenneth Hagen uh, uh, Jr., and uh, a daughter, Patricia. Now, uh, his son, Kenneth Wayne Hagen, as you can see here, he's the one who's currently, because obviously Kenneth Hagen had passed away in 2003, senior. Uh, he's currently the pastor, this guy, his son, uh, of Rama Bible Church and Kenneth Hagen Ministries, okay? But his dad, back in the day before he died, he takes off, and uh, in 1914, after a supposed appearance of Jesus, which apparently happened all the time, according stories made up, stories made up, okay? He joined, in 1949, he joined the Voice of Healing Revival with, guess who, Oral Roberts and Gordon Lindsay and T.L. Osborne between 1947 and 1958. So again, uh, like Kenneth Copeland, he, he got hooked up with that crowd. He started to learn the ropes with this name it and claim it. Uh, he guaranteed healing, perfect wealth, and he finally went on his own in 1963. This is Kenneth Hagen again. He launches Kenneth Hagen Evangelistic Association, now known as Kenneth Hagen Ministries. In 1966, he moves to Oklahoma, the ministries, and then he began to do media. 
And that's the pattern. Nothing wrong with media. Unfortunately, these guys use media to propagate false gospels, false teachings, and a bunch of baloney. So he began in 1967. uh, He launched with a radio uh, program called Faith Seminar of the Air. That was the one. He also has what's called Faith Library Publications. Listen to this. 65 million books in circulation from this sewer pipe. 65 million. And they're still going. And they're still out there. Then uh, he started Rama Praise, and that's a weekly television on the uh, Trinity Broadcast Network, or Blasphemy Network, TBN, right? Uh, then he has a magazine, The Word of Faith, uh, um, free monthly magazine to roughly 600,000 subscribers. And of course, he does all these crusades and all this other stuff. Now, what he's uh, uh, still known for today is this uh, entity, it's called the Rama Correspondence Bible School or the Rama Prayer and Healing Center. And this is in uh, Oklahoma. Notice, of course, what they focus on, the spoken word. You think, well, that sounds good. No, what do they mean by it? You're a little God and you speak out the word what you want to create because you're a little God. That's what they mean, right? So you, you got to get behind the veneer. But listen to this. This place has training centers in 14 different countries planted over 1,500 congregations worldwide teaching this stuff. Not just people going to it, but they launched training centers all around the world with this baloney. This, but this institute is located on 110 acres and the curic- curriculum is derived from, guess what, charismatic Pentecostal heritage. In other words, it's just teaching this baloney. So you can call it a Bible college all you want, but it ain't come from the Bible, Okay. And uh, it's sad. But they got their, their, listen to where they got their training centers. Austria, Brazil, Colombia, Germany, India, Indonesia, Italy, Mexico, Peru, Romania, Greece, Singapore, South Africa, South Pacific, Thailand, Nigeria, Zambia, Egypt, and the Philippines. No wonder this is the fastest professing Christian segment growing in the world today. It's nuts. It's a false gospel. And yet, it's being equated with Christianity. It has nothing to do with that, right? Now, let's take a look at his legacy, specifically the stories made up to rip people off of their cash, right? Let me give you just a couple of them. Hagen taught the following heresies, that just as salvation is guaranteed through Jesus Christ, you are guaranteed 100% healing. Really? Last time I checked, you're dead. How'd that work out for you? Where's the guarantee in that one? Right, but it gets worse as we go, unfortunately. Uh, Hagen also said he went to heaven and talked with his sister. Really? Bible says you ain't going there, right? You can't go to heaven and come. Wow. Okay, uh, he, he said that Jesus appeared to him in a vision uh, in 1950. He said he once went to hell in an out-of-body experience. He personally does not believe in sickness and disease. You're dead. Um, uh, it's always God's will to heal the sick. You're dead. And that believers have a legal and redemptive right to divine healing. You're dead. And your confession of faith will bring whatever you want and whatever you need. Yeah, you guys are catching on. Are you serious? It's crazy. But, uh, but again, positive confessions. He said that you can get anything you desire. He teaches that, listen to this, that for a pastor or anyone to drive a Chevrolet, this is a direct quote, a pastor or anyone to drive a Chevrolet instead of a luxury car isn't being humble. You're being ignorant of God's law of prosperity. <laughs> Are you serious? Now, I, I've told you guys this before, uh, but I remember a pastor told me 
that the church he was pastoring that apparently was into some of this kind of stuff, uh, he was a bivocational pastor, and he drove a pickup truck, construction truck, just a little small truck, and with the the, the thing that he could haul his tools and stuff on. And, um, and they actually, the church told him, uh, please, pastor, when you come here and work in the office, could you park around the backside so people can't see your truck from the street because it gives the impression that, you know, that's, you know, a junkie vehicle and we're not. Can you believe that? That's nuts. Okay, but that's what he said. Oh, and by the way, this works for, and I quote, whoever you are, saint or sinner. So this is some universal law that even the non-Christian can supposedly tap into. Hagen believed, quote, the believer, direct quote, the believer is as much an incarnation of God as Jesus Christ. Matthew 24, what did it say? Watch out, no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ, right? And quote, he says, if we ever wake up and realize who we are, we're gonna start doing uh, the work that we're supposed to do. The church hasn't realized yet that they are Christ. That's who they are. They are Christ. Again, don't let anyone deceive you, claiming I am. Folks, I totally believe that passage has to deal with also, amongst other things, um, these people. As one guy says, this is gross heresy. Yeah, slightly. Uh, Hagen claimed that God miraculously transported him, listen to this, out of church services one Sunday, right in the middle of the sermon. Now, some of you might have secretly desired that. I try to put my heart into these studies. But listen to this. He not only claimed that God miraculously transported him out of the church service one Sunday, right in the middle of the sermon. Worst of all, Hagen was the preacher delivering the sermon. <laughs> Maybe there's your inner self rebelling and trying to get away from your false teaching. I don't know, but this is nuts. He claimed to have received numerous visions as well as eight personal visitations from Jesus. Now, why am I saying all this? How are they going to pull it off? How are people going to fall for this? They're going to exploit you with stories they made up. This guy's a huckster, man. He's just making this up, right? He wrote, quote, the Lord himself taught me about prosperity. I never read about it in a book. I got it directly from heaven. You liar. You ripped it off from E.W. Kenyon. And that's a proven fact word for word okay and um, he claimed that he knew that Paul wrote Hebrews because Jesus appeared to him and told him so he also claimed that of the eight times that Jesus appeared to him seven times he was barefoot but the other time Jesus was wearing Roman sandals and he came into Hagen's room and he sat down by his bedside and talked with him for about 30 minutes he described Jesus as five foot eleven, weighing about 180 pounds, and as one guy says, this is flat out impossible. Quote, if the risen, resurrected, ascended, glorified Christ chose to visit Hagen at midnight for a chat, he wouldn't be wearing sandals. Hagen would be toast. You ever see Revelation 1, fire, whoo-wee, boy. I tell you what. Hagen claimed that his teaching was given to him by God, but in fact he plagiarized from E.W. Kenyon. And that, again, is a proven fact. And that is from a Dr. McConnell. Uh, he, he caught it and noted it. They got whole giant sections. Guy's a, a con artist, a liar. Hagen taught, listen to this, Hagen taught that Christ's physical death did not remove sin. And he taught that Jesus Christ was sent to hell. Now, wait a second. If Jesus went to hell, the only people who go to hell are people who have sin that has not been forgiven. And so if Jesus went to hell, that means he's not the acceptable sacrifice. Now, folks, this is a major error. This is a major false teaching. But these, and it's not just Hagen. You're gonna see a clip in a second. A lot of these guys teach that Jesus went to hell. Okay? But he says that Jesus went, was sent to hell and he struggled against Satan and the demons and was born again. 
Jesus was not born again. Jesus was resurrected, but he was not born again, okay? And this comes from a total misunderstanding, uh, amongst other reasons, of the place of the departed dead, okay? It's a grave. Uh, Actually, in the Hebrew, uh, the place of the departed dead, the grave, Hebrew, it's the Hebrew word sheol. In the New Testament, it's the Greek word Hades. Now, a lot of people, and this is a big problem, they assume Hades always means hell. No, Hades is speaking of the place of the departed dead. And of course, we're talking about prior to the resurrection of Christ. Sheol is the same thing. So these two words are synonymous. They just speak of the place of the departed dead, right? Now, prior to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, both the wicked and the righteous both went to Sheol or Hades, the place of the departed dead. Let me give you two passages. Psalm 9, uh, 917, the wicked will return to Sheol, the grave, even all the nations who forget God. And then you see this passage here, Psalm 30, verse three, O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. Talking about a righteous person, not the wicked. You have kept me alive that I would not go down to the pit. So basically, and of course, we, if you guys want to go even deeper on this, get our study, uh, the documentary we did uh, uh, one second after you die, and we go massively deep into this. But let's, let's begin to, to break this down. This is why it's a place of a departed dead, this is prior to the resurrection of Christ. Basically, draw a circle, okay, and put a. Ca- this is a chasm that separated the two, and you got the unrighteous on this side, and you got the righteous on this side. But this is what we see prior to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus has he hasn't died to the cross yet. He hasn't risen from the grave. This is what he's explaining here about these guys who were in the grave. Luke sixteen. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to where. Abraham's bosom, but the rich man also died, and he was buried in what? Hades, again, the Greek word for the grave. He lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away, and Lazarus in his bosom, and he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus so they may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I'm in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you receive your good things, and likewise Lazarus' bad things, but now he's uh, being comforted here, and you're in agony right? He said, besides this, there's what? There's a great chasm fix between. Notice that one guy's in torment, the other guy's in paradise. Same place. That's why I said, draw a circle, put a line right down the middle, right? And uh, so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none of us may cross there uh, to us. But let me just give you a picture. This is Sheol. This is, again, the, the Hebrew word uh, is Sheol. Hades is the Greek word. Both mean the place of the departed dead, Right, and you can see the chasm fixed between the two. This is what the grave, when people died, this is where they went prior to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, the unrighteous went to the one side, that was the place of torment, okay, the pit or the hell. The righteous went to the other side. You just saw it in Luke 16, Abraham's bosom. It's also called paradise. The thief, when Jesus said to the thief on the cross, you'll be with me in where? Paradise. Jesus went to where? Paradise. He didn't go to hell. He didn't go to the pit, right? He went to the righteous side, of Sheol, okay, and again, there's a chasm, okay, and uh, but it's a misunderstanding that people say that when Jesus was in the ground for three days, that he went to hell and he was down there preaching, uh, and and or that's where he became born again. Some people even say he was down there giving people a second chance. No, you only get one chance. It's called right now, in life, right? But this is obviously wrong. So anyway, uh, Jesus, when he arose from the grave. 
right? This is what the scripture says, Ephesians 4, tonight. Therefore it says, when he, Jesus, ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth, okay? So Paul basically says that when Jesus was raised from the grave and he went and ascended to the right hand of the Father, he basically took the righteous side of Sheol, the half of the circle, with him, okay? So give you another visual, do you get it now? Right, so so that's that's what happens. So he he they go up with Christ. That's why uh, that's leading the the host of captives with him. That's why Paul says this: When you and I die today, do we go to Sheol? No, we go to be with Jesus. And that's what he says. We are confident and say, willing rather to be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. Where's Jesus? Where's the Lord? At the right hand of the Father. Right. So when we die, we're in we're up in heaven. Right with Jesus, We're, we don't go down to Sheol. That compartment went up with Jesus at the resurrection. You got it, okay? However, there still is right now, and it's been this whole time. Everybody apart from Christ, uh, uh, still in your state of sin, without being forgiven, you are going to hell. That's all that's left down there, okay? But Jesus never went to hell. Again, if he went to hell, we're all doomed to hell, right? Jesus went to the righteous side of Sheol, but he went to the right hand of the Father, took the righteous side with him to heaven, and that's why when we die, we go straight there. You got it? These guys mess this up severely, right? Uh, And they twist the scripture, okay? Uh, But what they do. But I wanna show with you that these guys actually do say that Jesus went to, not just Kenneth Hagin, uh, we're gonna start with Bill Johnson from Bethel, but they say that Jesus went to hell and he was born again. Watch this. I don't know. Did you know that Jesus was born again? Jesus was born again. He had to be. He became sin. Why did he need to be begotten or born? Because he became like we were, separated from God. Because he tasted spiritual death for every man. And his spirit, the inner man, went to hell in my place. He became sin. He was made sin. Now he's in the pit of hell. He's down there. He's in there. Suffering like no man has ever suffered. Did you know God has never, ever sent but one man to hell his name is Jesus Jesus Christ he pays a price for us to be made right with God Jesus goes to hell I believe he went to Hades he went down and descended into the depths of the earth for three days and he pays for the sin of mankind physical death wouldn't remove your sins he's tasted death for every man he's talking about tasting spiritual death Jesus is the first person that was ever born again. Why did his spirit need to be born again? Because it was estranged from God. He was born through Mary the first time and through the resurrection the second time. He was born again. One! One! One born again human being defeated all of hell. 
Again, if your kids get online, just take that video clip. <laughs> wow. Folks, that is, what, what was the word that we used there? Brings the way of truth into disrepute, which sounds very proper, but it's the Greek word blasphemeo, which means blasphemy. That's blasphemy. To say that Jesus went to hell and that he was born again. The only people born again are those who have sin. Man, this is serious. Uh, one guy says this. He says, obviously, this is heresy of the greatest sort. The Bible plainly states that we are redeemed by Christ's death and blood on the cross. Our redemption was won for us on the cross, not Jesus supposedly going to hell. The atonement was finished on the cross. When Christ dismissed his spirit from his body, he cried, it is finished. That's when it happened. The Lord Jesus Christ was not born again. He was never lost. He bore our sin, but he was never a sinner. He was never tormented in hell uh, by Satan and demons, let alone ever in hell. Uh, but this, again, is another thing coming out of this group. The word faith, rip you off your cash, perfect health, perfect wealth, and that now they attack Jesus Christ, the, just the, the core foundation of the gospel. It's a false gospel on a multitude of levels. It's heresy. It's blasphemy. Uh, but Hagen, just real quick as we close, he claimed to, uh, he was guided by visitations of angels. Remember, we're still on stories made up. <laughs> in his book, I Believe in Visions, he describes eight of these, okay? And he claimed that the Lord prophesied to him uh, in one visitation that he would soon move among all denominations and uh, bring them into full salvation and into the baptism of the Holy Ghost, okay? Which is their aberrant teachings uh, that you need a second dose of the Holy Spirit that's not even from God. Uh, but basically, uh, there, one thing that this group, and we'll get into this towards the end of our study, Lord willing, uh, is they have brought about an ecumenical movement working with the Roman Catholic Church. And uh, they're bringing about a global one world religion. And a lot of the charismatic music industry um, is uh, behind that. And they're working with the Vatican and things of that nature. But Hagen also taught that God is glorified uh, uh, through healing and deliverance, not in sickness or suffering. Hagen's claims, though, quote, do not match reality. A few years ago, this is before he died, he claimed that he hadn't been sick in 60 years. Really? But he actually had several cardiovascular crises, one lasting six weeks, and that's eventually what killed him. Really? You're, dude, you're making stories up. You're a liar. Right? He claimed that the Lord spoke to him in a vision and said, quote, if you will learn to follow that inward witness, I will make you rich. Uh, you may have heard a voice, but it wasn't from Jesus. It wasn't from God. Uh, he claimed that Jesus uh, directly taught him to, quote, claim whatever you need. And that he further supposedly taught Hagen, this is supposed to be directly from Jesus, and that he had personal angels who could be commanded to do his bidding, meaning Hagen. Uh, Hagen said that Jesus told him that the angels were waiting for his command to provide his material desires. They are waiting on you to give the order, just as the waitress cannot do anything for you until you give the order. Wow. One guy said this, this is exceedingly contradictory and hypocritical that at least 20 minutes of Hagen's meetings were always given over to fundraising. Why don't you just command the angels to bring you the cash? You liar. You're making up a bunch of stories. Anybody see a pattern here? Isn't this wild? Written nearly 2,000 years ago as a warning to the church. You better watch out when this stuff comes into the church in the last days. And it's here now. It's been here for a while. 
And then, of course, as we close, as we saw before in uh, part one, Hagen was another one who was one who was popularizing the old so-called drunk in the spirit, the, the so-called holy laughter thing, another goofball thing made up. It's not in the scripture, okay? And that was their technique. Uh, you just make something up and say in the spirit and somehow that makes it Christian, right? Okay, uh, but anyway, but here he is in action doing this, okay, as we saw before. But towards the end, I want you to see right from the get-go who also is there with him. Let's take a look. I learned a long time ago to follow him. Amen. All right, we'll see what we can do here. Okay, so... manifestation of that anointing. Welcome to the new face of Christianity going across our whole planet. And you wonder why people look at you and I, the evangelical Christian, cross-eyed when we say, I'm a Christian. Don't you want to be one too? Because they think that that's us. Notice it had nothing to do with the sermon. You're not even in the Bible. You're not studying the Bible. It's all for show. You're being exploited. These guys are going to then take an offering and exploit you and rip you off. And who was it there right with him from the get-go? Dr. Creepy. I mean, Kenneth Copeland. <laughs> and we'll deal with him, Lord willing, next time. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. 
Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandment says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I'm a thief, I'm a blasphemer, I'm an adulterer, I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against him and disqualified us that disqualified us for heaven right and we've actually seen this work in real life uh, for instance uh, there's been people who have committed crimes gone to court the gavel's been passed the judges said hey listen we all know you're guilty uh, you even admit you're guilty and uh, for your crimes you're going to not just jail you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty 
And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done. You can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive his pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what he was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God. You have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey, folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth he is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the grave. And the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.